the small towns that dot the landscape that no one thinks about very often, but they are, they are truly wondrous in their own way. And they're joyful and the people there are nice and the food is good and the experiences are, are memorable. And, and so um, it, it's a, it's a good reminder that too, that when you're traveling, you don't always have to go where everyone else is going. You know, there's, there's a lot of joy and pleasure to be derived from, you know, a uh, flyover country in, in middle America and the small, the small towns that, that dot the countryside. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. And welcome to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings, the final podcast of 2021. I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host, along with Scott, Kevin Grout, and Kaylee Price. Hey-o. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and let the games begin. Hey, guys. Oh. Joe Arnold. <laughs> Hello. Oh, getting serious here. This is somewhat of our, uh, you know, we had a fun time uh, with the panel when we did our fantasy snake draft for Thanksgiving. This is somewhat uh, going to be along the same vein that we have. We have five categories to share with you today to kind of go through the uh is it five or is it six? There are six it's categories. Kevin, seven Kevin, written down. Kevin looking at me saying, no, actually there's, there's six. It's okay. Um, we'll be fact checking Joe along the way. That's fine. But we're going to go through in the next oh, 35, 40 minutes or so and, and ask our esteemed panelists here, along with the, the titular podcast host, Scott Jennings, uh, of our favorite memory of the year, the favorite thing we did or you did the biggest political moment of the year, and the biggest surprise of 2021. Then we'll turn the page for next year for the biggest hope for what changes and the boldest political prediction. Scott, I will say as we begin here, we still want to reach out and, uh, and give a, a note to all the folks who, are, who have suffered uh, the, from the tornadoes and the terrible uh, catastrophe in Western Kentucky. We're still thinking about them. I know that we all share this uh, concern that as the new year comes along, that some of those folks might be forgotten, but we're not. We're going to continue talking about that and any reflections as we before we start the uh, the roundtable. Well, it's been gratifying to see um, the outpouring of support from around the state, from around the country. Uh, you know, get the caravan of buses coming in that happened a few days ago, which was really neat. Uh, stuff's been flown in, stuff's been trucked in, money has been donated. I mean, you really see the heart of people uh, through this kind of a disaster. So that's been really, really great to see. You know, I continue to fear for the long term for a town like Dawson Springs or some of the other smaller areas that were hit uh, about where people are going to go and, and where they're going to re- choose to rebuild their lives. And we'll have to see how that unfolds. So my reflection is um, um, it's great to see the heart of America uh, and, uh, uh, and all that's been done for West Kentucky. And, uh, and, I, and uh, I'm just thankful for everybody who's donated and pitched in and helped out and uh, given blood. I've been a big proponent of the blood donations and um, I gave blood myself um, and, and would encourage other people to continue to do that because I know it, it's, it matters. Kelly, let's start with you with our uh, round table here and sort of the round robin of the, the different uh, recaps of the year that was 2021. And we'll start with our favorite memory of the year. Yes, I'm going to go back to March of 2021, coming out of the pandemic. Um, And 
lots of folks in the family vaccinated and ready to get together. And we took a family trip to Winter Park, Colorado. Several of us skiers, some people not, but I got to ski with my two of my nieces um, and went up to the high point at Winter Park uh, on the Panoramic Express and just being up there with my nieces who I've known obviously since they were little babies um, and they're 21 and 17 now. Um, it was pretty awesome. Got to teach one of my nieces how to ski and ski with the other one. And it was just a really cool experience. I'll always remember that. Also you know, saw them fall at the exact same time. And I have that on video and it's pretty funny. I'm going to piggyback on yours with my favorite memory because it has to do, I think a lot of it has to do with just being able to do things that we perhaps took for granted before uh, and being back together with family. And I'm a terrible golfer and Scott can attest to this, the times he tried to take me out and, and replace, I guess, divots or whatever they are, like their entire swaths of, of sod. But that said uh, is, was getting the one place my dad was comfortable being with me was outside. And even, even given the, you know, the things being relaxed, but the way we got together then on some temperate days throughout the year and I, I drove four hours to uh, St. Louis area from Louisville and was able just to spend, you know, two hours with my dad, have some lunch and then, and then drive back. And it was just, it's that whole concept is just being with each other. You can have a phone call, you can have a zoom call. It does not match being there in person. So that was my, the favorite memory of 2021 is just having that time with my dad, Kevin. Yeah, uh, longtime listeners of the podcast may remember that I've got a two and a half year old son at home. And uh, my favorite memory of 2021, similar to Kaylee's, was uh, last January when we got to take the little guys sled riding for the first time, uh, getting them all dressed up in the snow pants, the big coat. Uh, he had seen snow before, but never in the quantities. It was the first time he'd seen like two or three inches of snow. He got a sled for Christmas, was really excited. Uh, it mostly turned into me running and pulling the sled because we, you know, didn't go down a big enough hill. But uh, to see that, you know, the, the smile on his face when he really got some speed going, uh, absolutely unforgettable. So uh, everything since then, since January, was all downhill. <laughs> so to speak. Uh, mine is... Uh, traveling with my kids this year. I took two big trips with the kids. We went to, you know, we had our great uh, Western adventure over the summer. Uh, we went to South Dakota. We went to Montana. We went to Wyoming and Missouri and saw all these national parks and and just uh, Mount Rushmore, which was an emotional experience for me, really. I had always wanted to go, had never been. And so traveling with my my two oldest sons on that trip. And then uh, the, another trip in, in uh, October, we went to Arizona. And we went to Tombstone, which is among other places, which was a lifelong dream of mine to visit Tombstone, where Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday fought the Cowboys, and um, and being able to take my kids and show them, you know, uh, what I always wanted to do, and 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 we went during the town's festival, Hell Dorado days, so everyone there was dressed up like it was the 1880s. It was <laughs> it was amazing, and. But being able to share those things with my family, it re kind of re reminded me and rekindled for me uh, the rejuvenating power of travel. You know, you go, you see something new, you see something that you've always wanted to see. And to Joe, to your point, it it's one thing to see something in pictures or 
see it on a video, but it's, it's a whole nother thing to step out on the dirt and see it, you know, to, to look at Mount Rushmore when you walk up that ramp and you see it to, uh, to experience it for your, for yourself and through your own eyes. And, and uh, I, I look back on those photos from those trips often because of, of how much fun it was, how much fun I think the kids had and just what special times it, it was for me. So because of all that, I'm, I'm really planning to do some more travel in, in 2022 and, and uh, embrace it as the rejuvenating force that it is. And I'll start with the favorite thing you did because it's exactly what you said for your favorite memory. And that is, I just made the word in capital letters on my notes here of travel. We, Scott, you and I, uh, thankfully, uh, you, you uh, volunteered to come with me to pick up my son from a summer camp at Clemson University, drove through the Smoky Mountains, made a detour through Atlanta, went to a Cardinals baseball game there at Truist Park. But then in addition, you know, uh, a few weeks before you were in South Dakota, I was there with my son and did the Black Hills and the Badlands and, and Mount Rushmore. And I realized later on that I kind of, it's almost my, my, uh, my travel in 2021 was almost like this land is your land. I was kind of going through, I mean, we went down the Pacific Coast Highway. We had a family vacation where we completely just soaked in all the California coast um, and did just a lot of um, Americana. Went to the Reagan Library and saw Air Force One and walked through his life, went to Hollywood. You know, your, your, uh, your travels uh, were inspired inspirational to me as I planned my travels and you also went to South Dakota this year. And, uh, um, and then, you know, you and I had, you mentioned the road trip we had, we did some impromptu things. Um, and I, I derived a lot of, uh, pleasure and joy, uh, just kind of driving through some of the small towns, you know, that we did Everett and I, I bought an RV this year and uh, Everett and I, when we brought it back from Florida, we went through Georgia, you know, we went through Plains, Georgia and, and saw that. And, I don't know. I, um, uh, out West, we did it. We drove around a lot of, a lot of areas that had small populations. And I just, I derived a lot of, uh, pleasure from reminding myself of middle America, you know, like the the small towns that dot the landscape that no one thinks about very often, but they are, they are truly wondrous in their own way. And they're joyful and the people there are nice and the food is good and the experiences are, are memorable. And, and so um, it, it's a it's a good reminder that too that when you're traveling you don't always have to go where everyone else is going you know there's there's a lot of joy and pleasure to be derived from you know uh, flyover country and in, in middle America and the small the small towns that that dot the countryside. One uh, final uh, addition I'll make to that, uh, then we'll get to Kevin, and then Kaylee, is uh, along those lines right here in Kentucky. Part of my work with uh, the electric cooperatives of of the state and Kentucky Living Magazine is sometimes going out and finding these little hollers. But I found the Pilot View Mini Mart in Winchester, Kentucky on Ironworks Road. This is a combination, quick, you know, uh, uh, you know, what do you call it? Like a mini mart. It, it is a place where it's, you can buy I mean, motor oil and, you know, and toilet paper. Uh, as, but it has this, the uh, most amazing lunches, dinners, breakfasts, and desserts. You're, I mean, it's, it is five star. And the family owned there. And basically you have the same people who eat there every day, seven days a week. And they come in off. I mean, literally the farmers were coming in to, to load up so they can have enough energy to work in, in the afternoon. But then people like me who kind of this happen in and you, and you're taking a step into true America and sitting there, of course, very welcoming, 
And, and then you just basically, you, you ask whatever he's having, I'm going to have, because it's just what <laughs> eat what the locals eat. Pilot view, mini Mart, go to ironworks road in Winchester, Kentucky, the place to be. I will check that out. All right, Kevin. Well, mine's going to be along a very similar theme of getting back to flyover country. Uh, my wife and I had spent five years living in Washington, D.C., and this year we decided it was time to close the, the book on that chapter, move back home to Kentucky. Uh, so we, you know, um, left, left a job, moved back halfway across the country, you know, started putting down roots, bought a house. I started a new job and started working with uh, these three great folks. Um, and it, it, it was the greatest decision. Um, you know, we had a lot of fun out there, but get, getting back to, you know, where we know, where we're from right here in Louisville, Kentucky and flyover country truly the best thing we've done. We agree, Kevin, the three of us <laughs> agree that that's the best thing you've done too. Yeah, We're I don't very know. happy to have you. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm still, I don't know. Still trying to win Scott over. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> Kaylee, the favorite, the Kaylee, the favorite thing you did in this past year. Yeah. I did a lot of fun things this year. Um, but I'm going to go with, I started a new tradition for my birthday. I don't really love to celebrate my birthday. I love to celebrate other people's birthdays, but I started a new tradition um, since my parents moved here locally that on my birthday every year or within the week of my birthday, my husband and my parents are going to go on a kayak trip. And we did that. And we, I brought my phone because I wanted to take some photos, um, but turned off the cellular data on it. And we really you could paddle, you could float, you could do whatever you want. And we really were just out there for seven hours, um, just beautiful river, just floating down. And we're going to do that every year. All four what of river? us loved it. Blue River over in Southern Indiana, highly recommended. And if you go right after a rain, I mean, you can float and keep moving the whole time. And it's just a great day. Highly recommend it. Do they have rentals too over there? If you're not somebody yeah. who owns your own kayak? Yep. Yep. They have, they have kayaks, canoes, they have a full day and overnight. Um, they have a paddle weekend. They, they do it up big over there, but it's a really awesome place. Now, do you stop like at a little sandbar or something on the way and have lunch or what do you do about it? Yeah, food? we packed basically like a little charcuterie stuff, meats and cheeses and crackers and pulled off and ate it. And Boy, when it I want to when I went on float trips from the scouts when I was in grade school, we never used the word charcuterie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining I'm imagining Kaylee like pulling up in a canoe and then whipping out a white tablecloth, right? Like right. silver candlesticks, lighting a candle, you know, very fine china. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know what's really funny is on that trip we think that my husband lost his wedding band while we were off on that little sandbar. That is funny. His wedding band, he had lost a little weight. So his wedding band was like falling off every once in a while. He didn't realize it had happened. And the kayak Indiana or whatever it's called put on their Facebook page. If anybody lost their wedding band on Saturday, we found it and somebody found it and brought it to the place. So we got his wedding band back, but I can only imagine it happened at that little sandbar when we were eating. So perfect. Scott, did we already get you covered with your favorite uh, thing you did with your travel or anything more you want to add? No, this is a wholly separate category, is it not? And so uh, uh, I'm not going to have the I'm not going to have the same answer for I put a little thought into this. And so uh, my favorite memory ago. was travel. 
Okay. Favorite thing, favorite thing I did. Why, why are you trying to shortchange me out of my, like, I mean, you just want me to log off? What do you want me to do here? It's wow, whatever it's country. Getting, it's getting hostile Christ. over here. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, now he's set up I, intrigue and we're all waiting to hear it. So good. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I will let you know. <laughs> favorite thing I, favorite thing I did was discover the power of intermittent fasting. Uh, you, you, you all know back in January, I, um, started, uh, uh, experimenting with intermittent fasting and it, it really was a life-changing journey. I lost a lot of weight, but, but also, uh, discovered the, uh, ancillary benefits of, of fasting as well. And, uh, worked pretty well for me. Uh, at the end of the year, I have, I have gained some weight because I've been trying to calibrate what I can and can't do and experiment with different regimens and, yeah. Anyway, but the but but all along this year, um, intermittent fasting has proven to be um, a really a life changing item. So for me, the favorite thing I did was was sort of personal development, and that was learn about deeply learn about intermittent fasting, why it works, the science and the theories behind it. I've read a ton of books on it, listened to a lot of podcasts on it, wrote a big column about it, which uh, which got a lot of notoriety over the summer. And so I'm going to keep it up and. And I'm experimenting with some new regimens right now. And Joe, you, you tried it out for a while. And so I'm, well, I I'm tried gonna... it and I failed. I It worked and then it failed. And here's the thing. So Scott is going to help me get back on track. And coming up in January on this very podcast, we're going to reboot intermittent fasting for me in 2021, 2022. So that's, right. that's sort of our, our my, my plan here, Scott, is for because you're you've been my beta tester this entire time. It worked fine. I have some psychological problems that apparently got in the way of uh, of me being consistent here but with your help and with the podcast itself in january i think we can get back on track yeah and and i will preview that in january uh, we are we are going to do a show on intermittent fasting uh i've got an interview scheduled with a world-renowned expert on it and uh and we're going to talk a little bit about it and uh and really hope to inspire some people with it and i, I really do believe in it i you know i i think the weight loss is, is great. You know, I think for, we all live in Kentucky, you know, we have such an issue with diabetes here. I, I do, I do believe in the science behind fasting as a, as a mitigating tool for diabetes. Um, and, and I also think the mental, the mental piece of it for me has been, um, it's been great. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to getting, getting you back on the wagon, so to speak. Absolutely. Well, you're, you know, you're inspirational. It's been, and I know a lot of people have reached out and they've thanked you for that. And, and giving them some hope. And, and so it's been, you know, been a ter- terrific story. So dear listeners, I don't think I can say bring the popcorn, but uh, we'll look forward to it uh, yeah. somehow. Well, it depends, Kevin, if, if, if you bring it, you just have to make sure it is when you, within your eating window. And oh, so right. uh, you can bring the popcorn. I don't recommend it myself, but if you bring it, make sure you eat it within the proper window. <laughs> I, I will say that the amount of travel that I did in 2021, which is my favorite thing to do is what sort of wrecked my, my scheduling of my windows. And so I have to figure out that's going to be my, my challenge for 2022 is how to coordinate those two things. Yeah. If, if, when your schedules are all weird, how you, how your, how your windows of eating fit into that. That's what I haven't been able to figure out. All right, moving on the biggest political moment of 2021. I'm going to start with this one. We're kind of taking turns on who goes first. And I think there's no question that uh, looking back in history that the, the January 6th and the insurrection, but I'm going to go one beyond that. 
And that is Mitch McConnell, the, the Senate minority leader, um, I guess at the time was majority leader in, uh, in, in Congress, that I think he got just right. And as far as a political moment that will later on in history, I think we'll look back upon as, as threading that needle, which was the fact that he excoriated Trump for his actions on the day of the attack held him accountable for it, said he was responsible, but at the same time, for constitutional purposes and precedent, uh, also declined to, to vote to impeach. I thought he fed that needle just right, and I think history, looking back as far as biggest political moments, will, will show that as being uh, consequential. So that's, that's my start. Kevin, we'll, we'll go to you next for your biggest political moment. Mine is much more recent. It just happened in recent days, and it's when Senator Joe Manchin went on Fox News Sunday and made Joe Biden a lame duck president in his first year by declaring the Build Back Better bill dead. Uh, I think it uh, just shows that the rest of this Congress and perhaps even the rest of this presidency is not going to go the way that Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and the far left wanted it to. Uh, I think Senator Manchin was very smart about how he did it and when he did it. Um, and they, there's going to be a lot of, uh, heartburn on the other side of the aisle, perhaps over it. Um, but I think right, right here at the end, it was a, uh, at, at the buzzer, but the biggest moment of this year. I have to ask, uh, sorry, I have this poor little Diet Coke here. So you hear a little fizzy going on. Uh, is that Scott, do you think that that is, de- uh, definitive in terms of, um, uh, Manchin saying that because Biden, you know, has indicated that there's still something to be salvaged from all that. Well, I think it's definitive on this version of the bill, which uh, if you'd been listening to Joe Manchin for the last several months, uh, you realized that, A, this was never going to pass the Senate. And B, it was pretty stupid for Pelosi to make her House Democrats, especially the moderate, vulnerable House Democrats, walk this plank when it had no chance of of passing the Senate. I also, by the way, think Manchin's not the only Democrat in the Senate that doesn't like this bill. I think he's a heat shield for the rest of the people, the two or three, four people that don't like it. But but anyway, that to me, um, this bill is clearly dead. Now, will they end up trying to pass something else? I, you know, we had David Axelrod on the podcast a few weeks ago, and he said he thinks Bill Back Better is too big to fail. I'd be interested to go back and ask him now if he still believes that. But but I think his sentiment was. They have to do something. They can't leave. You know, a fully Democratic Congress wouldn't leave a Democratic president fully empty handed. And so my presumption is, is they end up trying to pass something. But, you know, the real question is, will the progressives accept it? I mean, they have been intransigent uh, on so many issues. And the, the, the political question for them is, is half a loaf or three quarters of a loaf or a quarter of a loaf enough? Or do they want to stand on principle and say, no, we want what we want. and We're not going to accept anything short of that. Uh, that's a real that's a real question mark for the Democrats and a real question mark for Joe Biden's ability to, to cut a deal. So this bill's dead. I still think there's a chance they're going to pass something just because of the idea of leaving him empty handed probably isn't isn't going to happen. But you never know. What's your biggest political moment? Uh, for me, it was the Afghanistan pullout and debacle. Uh, and I and, and although that was a foreign policy issue and not a pure political matter, I do think the. That was the turning point on Biden's job approval. You know, up until that point, he had been bumping along and been, you know, over 50 and basically hanging in there as a as a relatively popular president. I uh, certainly was running ahead of Trump and 
And it felt like, okay, these guys have enough juice to sort of, you know, make something out of it. And then Afghanistan happened. His numbers immediately plummeted. And it immediately punctured this idea that Joe Biden was competent. You know, he ran his whole campaign on the idea that he was going to be a moderate, deal-making person. We have competent governance again. Trump was incompetent. We're going to be honest, competent, moderate. You know, that was the whole pitch. And what we learned last year was that uh, there is a real, uh, a real deep incompetence that runs all the way through this administration from the top to the bottom, to the domestic, to the foreign. And it was on full display on Afghanistan. He's never recovered. He's still stuck in the low forties. Uh, and, and then after Afghanistan happened, you know, we had, uh, coronavirus resurgence, which they've also, let's be honest, they've not handled it well. And so th th just when, when the idea of your competence and your honesty is punctured in such a dramatic way as it was on Afghanistan, I think it, it makes it hard to climb out of that hole. He hasn't climbed out of it yet. And, uh, and I think that that moment right there is going to haunt them for a, for a very long time, at least as it relates to, to their political standing in America. So we have insurrection. We have Bill Backbutter with Manchin and we have the pullout from Afghanistan, Kaylee. Yeah, so I also had Afghanistan as my have it written down here. I've had it all morning written down here as that, and I, and I think it stands out to pivot from what Scott's saying, the political aspect of that for Biden. I think, you know, for me, government's big for, foreign policy person in government, and that's a lot of what has made me a Republican for a long time. And I remember 9-11 happening and, and on the 20th anniversary of 9-11 that we had just had this botched withdrawal from Afghanistan and what that means for the world moving forward. I mean, still, we don't know how much power they'll, the Taliban will gain there and, and what that means for terrorism in the future. And so I think just from a foreign policy and, and safety perspective, that, that was the biggest thing. And I think a lot of people are thinking about it like that. And, and where does this go? You know, I remember when 9-11 happened that so many people in high school and whatnot were so excited to go sign up um, and, and defend America. And I think there's a sentiment, again, even within the military, um, my nephew's a new Marine, um, that they're they're ready to go fight the bad guys and, and protect America. And so some patriotism that can come from that, um, that we saw in terms of what everyone who had sacrificed in Afghanistan and in the war, and then what that means moving forward. I think it's, it was a big pivot and a big point for America. You know, Kayla, you raised the, the 9-11 issue and, you know, one of the biggest surprises to me, well, I don't know why I said, and I'm, I guess I'm giving away my next answer on biggest surprise of the year, but <laughs> Biden's willingness to go out and say, we're going to get out on 9-11 as though that 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 had any strategic sense at all. I mean, if you're going to make a military operations decision, you don't make it out of some stupid PR stunt. Did it make sense to do this at the time we did it? That's the only question, military strategy, that you should be asking. But for them, they put the PR, oh, we'll be out by 9-11, the 20th anniversary, and that's why this makes a ton of sense. Their willingness to make that the centerpiece of their strategic framework was, 
I thought it was stupid at the time. And now not only did it turn out to be stupid, but it was tragic because of how botched it was. I mean, people falling out of airplanes, the draining of American prestige, the Taliban wearing our uniforms, driving around in our Jeeps, all everything that happened that embarrassed America flowed from their stupid PR stunt of an idea. Whoa, we got to get out by 9-11, 20th anniversary. Well, no, you didn't. You really didn't. And so they deserve everything they have coming politically from that. But Kaylee, you're raising just the, the whole 9-11 issue reminded me of just how sullied to me the memory of 9-11 is by their willingness to use it as a stunt, as a centerpiece of a military strategy. It was so botched. It just, it, it was stunningly incompetent and uh and i i well i'll just say yeah. it was my big is my biggest surprise of the year was the, the the complete and total lack of incompetence around that um biggest political moment for me was was that they did it at all and everything that happened but the but the incompetence that biden has displayed there the incompetence they have displayed on covid undercutting their message on vaccines the incompetence they have displayed on dealing with Joe Manchin. You know, he says, I don't like your bill. They call him a liar. I mean, it's it, every time something happens, they do something incompetent and they promised America. No, no, Trump's the incompetent one. And let me tell you something right now. There's a lot of people out there saying, was he? I mean, if you look at what Biden has done versus what Trump did, I mean, I'm not arguing for, for, you know, Trump is, you know, the savant of good government management. But I am telling you, Joe Biden's incompetence is a real problem for America. So, Scott, you made the, the move there to surprise moment. Before we leave the biggest political moment, I was I am curious about any of your responses. No one else chose insurrection or our political responses to that as their biggest political moment. And in terms of that, as well as the other ones you're talking about, which because it seems to me that certainly Afghanistan, there's no question that has long term consequences for the world. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. Uh, and, and, and tragically, what it has right now for the people, the Afghan people, is, is just horrible. What you're seeing right now with, with the Taliban, speaking of incompetence, Scott, just not being able to handle the country and, and what's, what it's doing to the real people there on, on the ground. But that said, in terms of our own country and long-term implications and the insurrection, as well as the, the political fallout from that, it seems to me that you know, there, there are some big concerns you know, historically speaking about what this means, I think about 2025, January, you know, what happens after the election there and and whether people actually accept the outcome, you know, that'll be, I guess we'll find out then how important the insurrection was, but any, any thoughts on, on an insurrection as far as lasting historical consequence? Yeah. I mean, I'm interested in what Kaylee and Kevin think too. I, um, you know, I've, I've argued on CNN quite often that the insurrection actually will have very little impact on the midterm election. I think there are other larger political forces and at play and uh, and it looks like the Republicans are going to do quite well provided you know some, something earth shattering doesn't happen between now and then. But I've also argued that where this will come home to roost is in the 2024 presidential campaign when you know if Donald Trump runs again or if he doesn't, the question will be the same. Do you accept Republicans responsibility for what happened? And and can we trust your party with this kind of power again, knowing what you did with it the last time? Now, I've argued that 
that whoever the nominee is, if it's not Trump, is going to end up having to renounce Trump's activities on that day. Just the same way Donald Trump had to renounce his own embrace of birtherism. You know, remember that he was one of the principal promoters of birtherism, and it was a horrible thing to do. He wound up having to renounce it. I think the next Republican nominee, not Trump, will have to renounce what Donald Trump did about January the 6th. They may not do it in the primary. I think it, this is sort of a general election pivot issue, uh, but I think it is coming. If Trump is the nominee, he will not renounce it, and he, he will lean into it, and that will be a limiting thing for the Republicans. It'll put an anvil on, atop the party's head. I used to think there's no way Donald Trump could get reelected. I'm not sure about that now, but I do think of all the possible nominees – He's the least likely to be elected in 24 because of January the 6th. So to me, Joe, the lasting issue here will be in 24. And then, as you pointed out, in 25, I don't think it's going to have an impact on the midterms unless you have several like Senate races or gubernatorial races out there, which are close and people don't accept the outcome. By the way, I think if Republicans win in 24, however they win and whoever wins, Democrats won't accept this either because they have a long history of not accepting it. They didn't accept the Bush victories. They didn't accept the Trump victory. You know, it's been since like 1988 that uh, Democrats accepted uh, that a Republican was legitimately elected president of the United States. And so um, I I'm fearful, as you are, about a general lack of acceptance of political outcomes. And and uh, and it won't you know, it it's not all the danger is not all on the right. Candidly, there's danger on the left here as well. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think certainly will have a high impact in, in the 24. But I do think, you know, when are we going to turn the corner? And I hope that 24 is the time that we turn the corner because for so many years, elections, I mean, to pivot off of what Scott said, for so many years, elections have been undermined by the party that didn't win it, right? Oh, that wasn't legit. Democrats did this in, in Donald Trump's election. So to say that it's all on Donald Trump's back, certainly what happened on January 6th, I think is awful. Um, but this has been happening for a long time. And honestly, you just saw it the other day when Joe Manchin said that he wasn't going to vote for this. You had Democrats out there saying he doesn't even represent, you know, now you have this small group of people that doesn't even represent America saying that this is how we're going to go. It was undermined then. So Democrats are doing this. And I just I hope that the 24 election, if it's not Donald Trump, gives us a chance for both parties to say this is the time that we say the American election system works. We have a good government here. I, I, I don't know how much hope I have that's going to happen or belief that it's actually going to happen. But I do have hope that it could happen and that moving forward, we stop undermining our elections and our system. You're exactly right, Kaylee. I think this is the time that across the board, we need to have mainstream, traditional conservative, just across the board, folks stand up and say, I'm going to I'm going to support America's institutions. Uh, I mean, you see it right now, left, right, center, people trying to tear down, whether it's from abolishing the Senate to abolishing the filibuster to throwing out elections that we don't like. We need level-headed people who are in the real majority to say, no, this is the system we have and it works. Yes, we need to make sure elections are fair. We need to protect their integrity. We need to stop really bad ideas like you know the Democrats HR1. But at the end of the day, the majority that we make up needs to come out and say, we stand for American institutions. I think that's exactly right. And I think, and we'll move on to surprises now, but I think 
I mean, we talked a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago about after uh, Bob Dole's death. And, and I played a soundbite on that day about basically accepting 90% if you can't get 100%. And the whole concept of compromise, the whole concept of if it doesn't go your way, that doesn't mean the system was rigged. It just means you have to work harder for the next time. It also doesn't and, mean the system is broken. I mean, not, right. not just that, not, not just rigged, but you have people out there because Joe Manchin says, I don't want to support this bill. Right. You've got people out there saying we should abolish the Senate. Right. We should, you know, right. I, I mean, I mean, the, 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 the tantrums that are being thrown about that. And it, it's, it, it's more than just saying something is rigged. I mean, there are people who are ready to throw it all out over right. a single bill. You've got reporters on Twitter saying this was objectively devastating for the planet. You know, yeah. they're, they're like the scale <laughs> of your commentary really needs to be thought through. And I, you know, I'm fearful about a world where people actually obtain actual political power with the capacity to do what some of these people want to mm-hmm. do, that, to act on their tantrums. And I, I mean, it, it is a scary thought. Well, and right and so, now there's, there's 48 Senate Democrats who in theory would be ready to completely devastate that institution by get, getting rid of the legislative filibuster. Yeah. As long as Joe Biden's the president, I, I assure right. you, <laughs> I assure you that when Republicans win, they'll be back to where they were when Donald Trump was the president, which is, it must be preserved. And that, that sort of spineless, principleless action it 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 ought to it ought to really concern every American and 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 not that the Republicans are devoid of people who 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 have abandoned all principles, but but the Democratic abandonment of that principle and others, uh, just because they, you know, aren't getting what they want in that moment, it it it's uh, it's troubling. It's it's very troubling, and 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 they give no thought to this. Well, maybe we should go out and convince more people. Maybe we should go right. out and make a better argument. Maybe we should go out and win more elections. And, and that in and of itself is an authoritarian impulse. Well, we don't win enough elections, so we're just going to change the U.S. Constitution and our entire system of government for the purpose of enacting our agenda, which wasn't popular enough to elect enough people to do it. I mean, it's crazy. And it's the reason I think the Flyover Country podcast exists, because a coastal Democrat can't fathom that there are people who disagree with them. And if they can't enact their agenda, everything must be broken. Well, not only. Yeah, they can't fathom that people don't agree. And they also cannot hide their absolute hatred for people who live in rural Mm -hmm. middle America. If you look at what people have said about Joe Manchin's constituents. In the wake of his announcement on BBB, politicians, liberal activists, Hollywood celebrities, they hate West Virginia. They hate people who live in rural middle America, and they try to contain their disdain. But when things don't go their way, they can't hide what's inside and what has flown out of them on Twitter and in other mediums. It's obscene, and it's terrible, and this idea that we would give these people more political power when we know, when we know what they think about their fellow Americans. It, it's, uh, people ought to take note. People ought to take note of just how much hate there is for folks who don't live where they live, act like they want them to act, have the values they want them to have. If you deviate from them, their hatred for you is so deep and complete. It ought to scare us all. And I don't think it was as widespread as what's happening with Manchin and the hate that's coming out there. But look at the people who following the Kentucky tornadoes said, well, it's your fault this happened because you're so backwards. You keep electing people 
who are trying to kill you with climate change, right? Like, I, I mean, it's no matter what happens, they always find some reason to turn it back on. You don't think like I do. And so you deserve everything awful. I was going to say the exact same thing, Kaylee. I was speaking of the word obscene that Scott said. That's the thing that, and I know Twitter's not real life. And I, I had to keep reminding myself of that just to take a break from it because the kind of vitriol that was aimed at Western Kentucky or Kentucky in general uh, after that tragedy. And of course, there was, it was four states that were hit by that, if not more. But the fact that people were using that as an opportunity to make political capital to, to, to end it to attack people was just, it was in fact obscene. Scott, you already went into the next category of biggest surprise moment. I'm going to piggyback on yours now because part of my uh, contention uh, as far as the biggest surprise moment is more of just in general. And that is that uh, it seems to me that maybe I, I couldn't figure out Donald Trump for the last, you know, five years. And, but he always seemed to find a way to figure it out. He always seemed to find a way to, to kind of tap into and have the kind of that, that, that knack of knowing what people were thinking or kind of, kind of, uh, of capitalizing on that for his own benefit. And to me is the fact that I guess, absent the, the, the white house, his, his, his waning influence, he, he seems to pick the wrong horses more and more. He seems to uh, not be able to get any kind of traction here. I, I certainly think his, his, his influence is still there, but my, my surprise moment of 2021 is that Donald Trump has not been more able to continue his, his, uh, his influence here moving forward. You know, I, I, I think Trump's influence is still vast, but I think the test is coming. I mean, you see, you know, he's already running into, he may have overextended himself politically, you know, he's endorsed Mo Brooks in the Alabama Senate race. That's not going well. His candidate that right. he endorsed in Pennsylvania uh, already dropped out. Um, and, and so that, that didn't go well. He's, he's trying to engage in the Idaho governor's race. That's not going well. We'll, we'll see. I, I think his personal influence is vast. We'll see the, the limits of his, of his transference capability in a post-presidential era. I mean, he, you know, my sense is one of the things that's most important to him is his win-loss record, and he may end up racking up a few losses here. And I, I'd be interested to see how he reacts to that and how that impacts his thinking about whether he should run again in 24. I still think he's running uh, because I think Republicans are going to do quite well in the midterm. Biden's going to be in the toilet and he's going to say this is the easiest campaign of all time. And that it's, it's basically me saying, I told you so. You know, this, this this guy's terrible. I told you it was going to be terrible. And uh, and uh, and there you go. And and he you know, I don't think he'll be meaningfully challenged for the nomination, although I'm persuaded that some people may challenge him, whether he's meaningfully challenged is, is up in the air. Uh, so I think, Joe, your your questions about his staying power are, are valid because he has extended himself into a lot of campaigns here. And if he takes some losses, it may dent right. that idea that he's, you know, beyond, uh, you know, beyond knocking down a peg or two. I, I found his comments uh, the other day on uh, the, the the success of the vaccines mm -hmm. to be late, but but interesting, but telling. He's looking for a win to end the year here and basically to go back and say, my administration is the one. And I think he's right that that got these things done. There's no question why it took him so long to embrace that. I have no idea. But it seems well, to me he's trying to find a win here before the end of the year. I think I think one of the things about Trump that that we always have to remind ourselves is that he doesn't lead his people. His people lead him. And one of the reasons it took him so long to embrace his biggest achievement 
was because he fears his own base. You know, it's why he could never cut the big deal on immigration. He, the deal was there to be done and he couldn't close it because he fears his own base. And I think on vaccines, it's quite obviously the best and biggest thing he did for the world, for the world. And yet it took him so long to embrace it because of the fear. Now, why he's embracing it now, I think, is a fascinating sort of psychological study. And I think if I had to just guess, it is he sees Biden struggling with COVID so much that, that Trump, as you pointed out, he's good at sort of figuring out, OK, what do I how do I need to insert myself into this to advantage myself? Biden is so mightily struggling on COVID that now Trump. I think is saying, well, if I embrace the vaccines, the only good thing about the COVID response is that the vaccines exist and they work. And that's because of me. So I don't know if he's embracing it out of principle or because he thinks it's good or just because he thinks it's an advantage to him. Uh, but I, but I, but it is a fascinating turn. Right. And I think in the span of a week, he twice came out in a, a very pro vaccine manner uh, just recently. So I'm interested to see what his next four appearances are, because I'm sure, Scott, you're right. He's going to keep hammering home this message. And he's been all over the place. You know, before coronavirus, you know, he he expressed uh, skepticism of vaccines. He embraced the, the conspiracy theory, discredited that vaccines cause autism. Uh, then, you know, he, he became the, the captain of Operation Warp Speed. I mean, he, he's he has personally been all over the place on vaccines. Mm-hmm. And now to embrace them here at this pivotal moment in our fight against coronavirus, uh, by the way, and he did it in conservative media. You know, he did it with an interviewer who was clearly trying to get him to say, oh, yeah, these vaccines don't work and they're terrible. And he wouldn't he, he wouldn't take the bait. It was really fascinating. I agree. Kaylee, any thoughts on that? And then we'll go to your surprise moment for 2021. I am just interested to see. You know, to Scott's point, he's he did it on with conservative media and he got booed when he talked about taking the vaccine and and how that plays into his psyche of how strong he keeps going with this. I mean, he really does kind of go wherever the wind blows. And so I'm interested to see in a month where he is still on this. Um, My biggest surprise moment, I think, is. Uh, along these lines, you know, we saw a lot of people in the center right, maybe were more totally center, but were Republicans. We saw the Trump presidency kind of break those people. If you're thinking about the Lincoln Project and some other people, they just totally lost it. Um, but I think what this year has shown over time is how much the Trump presidency also just broke the Democrat Party as a whole. I mean, they can't get anything done. I, I really didn't see that division and in that coming that starkly and that quickly, but it really did this year. So it was really interesting to me um, to see his impact continue to just destroy the Democrat party and what they can get done. Yeah. The best thing Democrats could do is just move on and not say Trump's mm-hmm. name ever again, but they're unfortunately obsessed. Kevin. I was very surprised. And I think we've kind of almost touched on it how quickly Republicans have come back after losing by 7 million votes last year in the White House. Um, I mean, we've kind of said after you lose an election, you're out in the wilderness for a little bit, you work on your message, you try to retool. 
uh, expand your electorate. No, Republicans are back, you know, for months now, even going back uh, to the days right before Glenn Youngkin won the Virginia governor's race. Republicans are on the rise. We're feeling confident about next year. And as you know, I said earlier, Joe Biden is already a lame duck. Uh, it, it is surprising how quickly the events have turned. And I think when your opponent is shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again, you just get out of the way and you let them keep doing it. Um, so I think you, un, until the midterms, we just, we let the, the Democrat party keep talking about build back better. And uh, Chuck Schumer says he wants to vote on it every week in the Senate. I say, God bless him. Keep the lights on, let him do it. Kevin, we'll stick with you for the biggest hope for what changes in 2022. I do think, by the way, when you said biggest, as far as the midterms, I, and as I think Scott had said earlier that, you know, barring some big event, there's going to be something else that happens. I mean, we, and we don't know what those things are, but part of our predictions here are projections. So it's one thing for our prediction. We'll talk about that in a moment. But right now, what's your biggest hope for what changes in 2022? Well, it's it's got to be the end of the coronavirus. It's time, you know, so many families have felt it so personally. It's it's broken so many uh for 2022, the world needs a win, and I think the coronavirus needs to go away. I'll piggyback on that briefly, and just to say, with the pandemic, is that people stop posturing and it's just accept the reality. Because so much of this has been, uh, you know, just projecting values in, and uh, rather than accepting science or just accepting what the reality of it is. It seems to me that Omicron might be that, that transitional point if in fact it's, it, it is more uh, perhaps uh, uh, contagious or transferable, but not quite as severe of consequences, then maybe that might get the people to the point to say, well, it is like the flu. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that from a, from a medical standpoint, but I'm hoping that we can get to the point where rather than feeling like we have to put a mask on or we have to do these performative things for the sake of it's the, you know, the mask is the, is the new MAGA hat. Um, you know, to the point where we can stop politicizing these things. That's my hope, like it is yours, that we can get past that. Scott? Right. Yeah, I, uh, on, on Omicron, by the way, I, I agree with you. We, we may be crossing the threshold here where people realize we're never going to have COVID zero. I mean, all of our policies, all government policy to this point is we need to get to COVID zero. And it's been fairly obvious for quite some time that's not going to happen, but all the policies are still geared towards that. So it's going to be endemic, and that's fine. If Omicron and how mild it is is sort of the way this is, and you can get a shot, and you know it 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 mitigates the 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 damage it does to you and turns it into you know sort of like any other illness we all deal with on a on a regular basis. That's a that's a fine outcome because we've done it with other things. Um, how quickly people get to this at the policy level is is interesting. Biden is there politically. I mean, he's obviously resistant to the idea of lockdowns, and I mean, he knows it's killing him politically. Uh, but I don't know that a lot of these mayors and governors are, are going to get there. Uh, I mean, we already see the mayor of D.C. instituting policies about mandates that that um, I assume are going to be replicated in other cities that have stridently liberal mayors. But we'll see. My biggest hope for change in 2022 is that everyone takes advice from the political philosopher Dalton of Roadhouse, in which he says simply be nice. Be nice. Be nice. That's his number one advice that he gave to all the bouncers that he was training at the double deuce <laughs> in Roadhouse <laughs> to be nice, to be nice. We have an we have an epidemic of people who just can't find it in their hearts to be nice to each other, especially when 
decorum and and just you know good manners would dictate be nice we talked about it on the tornado you got people out here dying amidst you know the worst tornado in in history in this part of the country and you've got folks whose first reaction was to go on twitter and crap upon the people of that particular area we need to be nice i was noting this year and i like her but she said something really dumb. Nikki Haley, you know, at one point this year and trying to revive her presidential aspirations said the problem with the Republican Party is that Republicans are way too nice. Now, she said this after <laughs> Donald Trump, after Donald Trump lost the presidency to Joe Biden, basically because he's a dick. <laughs> OK, like I don't think we should I don't think we would ever look back on the on the Trump president. You know what the problem with Donald Trump was? He just was too darn nice. The fact that she thought that's the pitch is A, problematic from a strategic perspective, but B, problematic, and that's what she thinks people want to hear. And so what I would argue is maybe, just maybe, the reason we lost the presidential campaign in 2020 is because of that kind of thinking. If you look down the ballot, people wanted to vote Republican. They didn't vote for the top of the ticket because of the way he was personally. And so humbly to Nikki Haley and others, Maybe we ought to try to be nice. We the, can be conservatives say, and be nice. The two are not mutually exclusive. I, I I'll say, though, that there are some people, unless you agree with them, they think that you're being uh, mean. They think that you're being, uh, if you don't agree with them, if you don't embrace whatever value construct they have, you are by definition an evil person. So you cannot, you can't, you're, you can't put nice together with being fundamentally immoral. And that's because there are plenty of people who watch you on CNN. I always enjoy, oh, you know what I should have done for this year? We'll have to, for the first show of 2022, we'll have to read mean tweets about Scott. That's always kind of like (laughs) what I do sometimes just for fun. But the people who attack you because your very existence galls them. Yeah. And, and it's, and, and you're pleasant about it. Now, what happens when Scott is pleasant on CNN? What do they say, Scott? I can't stand that smirk. Yeah. The smirk. Because, because. If you're smiling about it and you're being pleasant about it back and forth, it's not a situation to say, oh, no, he's being collegial. No, no, you're smirking. You're smirking that somebody ought to smack that smirk off your face. I get if right. I have seen that once, I've seen it a thousand times. Right. Like it's, All it's, right, it's so true. Well, Joe, Kaylee, I, will, I will just submit those people are wrong. They yeah. should change. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I would, just, wiped- I would just submit Scott's home address is, and you should come over. <laughs> now, Kaylee is one of the few people who actually has successfully <laughs> wiped the smirk off Scott's face at times. Uh, your tried. thoughts and your biggest hope for change in 2022. Well, I, I mean, I, I agree with all this on the, the Omicron and hopefully turning a corner. I don't see it yet because of all these new restrictions that are coming out. So that makes me sad to see. Um, but I do, I do hope that, you know, I think the other day I saw there's this cruise ships have been under attack for, for COVID and whatnot, and they're operating again. And, um, a cruise ship came into Miami and I think had 48 positive cases. Now everyone had to be tested. And so that rate I think was about 8% positive. Um, versus a state right now, if I just couldn't find Kentucky's positive number, but Indiana's positive number right now, 16% of people that are tested are positive for that. So this idea of stopping life and stopping things that people enjoy because it's so much more dangerous, I, I just don't think it adds up. And I, I hope we do get there. Um, 
My biggest hope for what changes, however, is as we're sitting on a Zoom call that we go back to not as many video calls. Um, You know, I I think video calls just are not the same as in-person meetings are. And sometimes a phone call works just as easily as a video call. So I, I personally hope we go back to not replacing every phone call with a video call. My brother says that he's like scared every time to look at his phone when it rings because he's always afraid it's going to be somebody video calling him and he just doesn't want to be on video. And that's just this trend we started during COVID that we got to video call people all the time. And I would love to just do a quick phone call again. Uh, let's stick with you, Kaylee, for our boldest political predictions. You're on a roll. I'm on a roll. She's rolling. What? She's rolling. Don't stop. She's rolling. It's what I do. Get it done. Um, I think to Scott's point about, you know, is Trump going to be the nominee in 2024? What's going to happen here? I think by the end of 2022, we are going to have someone new as the kind of front leader for the Republican Party. I don't know who it is yet. I don't think that person is out there. You know, you hear DeSantis talked about, you you hear all that, but a lot changes in a year. I think we all know that, especially in politics. And I think at the end of 2022, we will have a new, a new leader. That is, that is bold. Like somebody we've never heard of or somebody (laughs) who's kind of. A six-year-old in (laughs) Iowa. I mean, I can think of a few people that it, that it could be that are just kind of laying low there right now. Um, I don't know if they'll try to do that, but I just, I think this happens a lot, right? Where did Donald Trump come from as our, as our Republican nominee? He, well, to, to, to your point, I mean, Donald Trump, you know, of course, what is his history among other things that he did was never having held elected office before. So the right. question becomes with, with his being a trailblazer in that regard, is there someone else? Is there yes. a Elon Musk? Is there a the rock? Know, I'm, I'm, the Rock, The Rock, the rock Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, the I rock am not advocating for another TV celebrity um, to no, be that I'm, person. I'm, not saying I'm, this I'm simply TV, saying I think there will be someone new by the end of 2020. But the, my, my point is, is that is that Donald Trump showed that even though the, the past conventions of you have to have been elected somewhere else before right. elected president are don't necessarily exist anymore. He's, he's Could, that, that ceiling has been broken. Yeah. Could there be a, a business person or someone who, who feels the call to serve that has been looking, something breaks their way to, to have an entry? But it happens. Especially because of Scott's earlier point is saying, if, if we're craving competence, then we're going to look for that. Who's been the most mm-hmm. competent leader, the most competent person? That can come from military, that can come from business, that can come from variety of places. I also think politics are a tricky thing to navigate right now. So they have to have some political savvy. So that's why I don't necessarily think it's somebody we've, we've never heard of. That's totally new to politics, but we'll see. All right, Scott, your biggest, your your boldest political prediction for 2022. I think we're going to see massive turnover in the Biden administration. Uh, I think we're going to see a Mm -hmm. lot of big names and big staff depart Biden. Usually you see that at the end of the second year, but I think it's all going to come much sooner for them. And um, uh, some, and I think some of the people that will depart uh, probably are thinking he's not running again and they want to start positioning themselves uh, as either candidates or staff for future campaigns. So I think Joe Biden's crisis of competence will continue with mass turnover at various levels. Your former CNN colleague, uh, Simone Sanders, leaving Kamala Harris's uh, uh, 
you know, that, that office there, are you that, that kind of thing you're talking about? Well, I, I, no, I think, well, yes. I mean, I, I do think you could see advisors, but I also think you could see cabinet secretaries. I think, I think you could see senior officials in the white house. I mean, at some juncture when a white house is struggling this much, uh, two things happen. One people abandon ship <laughs> and two, uh, you know, the chief executive, you know, correctly says, looks around and says, well, I'm not going to quit. So which of you people are, am I going to throw overboard? And so I think you could have both of those dynamics in play. And also uh, the last question about that, is this because as much about people who are disaffected, people who think that you, I thought you were someone else than what you actually are and you've, and you're not as progressive or you're not as, as competent for, for what I expected you to be? Well, I think different people will have different reasons, but I but I suspect that that some people are going to want to, you know, they're going to look past Joe Biden and not really believe that he's going to run for re-election and how closely tied to his brand do you want to be and for how long? And uh, and so, uh, you know, my my assumption is is that um, that that some of that's going to happen, and uh, and you know, there's also people out there I think that that will say, look, I I'm not making a difference you know, nothing I do matters, you know, I mean, you're going to have some of that. I mean, there, there's, I think there's a lot of motivations, but uh, my suspicion is uh, he's going to be uh, looking for new teammates sooner rather than later. Kevin, your biggest, first of all, any response to that? And then your boldest prediction. Well, my response is that was mine. Oh, <laughs> I had, I had written I down. I saw you nodding. We, did not, we had, did not coordinate this. Written down. And I did not you know, come I, and look at your notes. I'm going to, I'm going to keep mine um, and I'm going to put a finer point on it. So it's, oh. it's different enough. I think in 2022, two, two members of Joe Biden's cabinet will resign, one in scandal and one to run for president. Wow. That is really okay, That is bold. That that's is bold. Very specific. That's now, specific. Name yeah. That's as specific as I'd like to get today. I need to, you know, <laughs> trail you along. Keep listening to the Flyover Country podcast and you'll learn more. We should we should add another conversation to this topic, and that is: Do you believe Joe Biden's new dog will also bite people to the point <laughs> where that dog is forced to go quote live on a farm? They the old dog, by the way, was forced out in scandal, mm-hmm. and now he's been sent off to God knows where. It's pray for scandal. that dog's pray for that dog's safety. You know, uh, you know how bad the news cycle is when they have to deploy the dog tactic. We I got mean, it a was new a, dog. Don't talk it was about a cute it. dog. It was a cute dog. But Biden has a very terrible track record right. of of treating dogs in a way that caused them to be good pets. And so I would just say, keep an eye on the dog. He may not. We'll say hi. Be nice, Scott. Be nice in 2022. All oh, right, I am bold- being nice. I love dogs, I as you know. My boldest <laughs> I'm just worried yes, about this do. dog. Dogs, chickens, and every other critter that your <laughs> son brings home to the basement. Um, boldest political prediction for me is it's it's not quite political; it's judicial, but I think it has major political implications. Oh. And that is, I do think that Roe will be overturned. Ooh, that and, would be a big right. splash, a big splash All in right. the water. And because that, and as far as like consequential events of 2022, I can't think of anything more consequential in terms of something which has been simmering for, you know, 50, 60 years uh, than, than that, than that. And then of course, wh- what implications that has for the midterms and the kind of the reordering of the idea of what you mentioned before, Kevin, about your belief in institutions, hoping that goes for some, for some folks, you know, subtle law or subtle constitutional precedent is that is institutional. And so when you change some of those underpinnings and of kind of what you come to expect that's been in place for 50 years, 
that that does kind of shake things up. Uh, so I'll be curious to see what happened. But I do think that given that Clarence Thomas, you know, back with Casey said it was wrongly decided and right. canon should be overruled. Right. Uh, he seems to be the, the driving force on this and all the comments we heard in the arguments, you know, uh, you know, weeks ago. I think it, it, it leads me to believe that, Scott. On, on top of that, do you all believe that we will see a Supreme Court vacancy this year? Now, I, I hadn't thought about this until Joe gave his prediction. I think one will follow the other. I think they could hand down uh, an overturning of Roe and then Breyer could re- resign the next day. Yeah. And, 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 and what is amazing about that, if that happens, Joe Biden will basically have to nominate someone that can get Joe Manchin's vote. Right. And Joe Manchin is the last pro-life Democrat in the United States Senate. And so that, that the politics of even that for the, you know, this, this interplay between Biden and Manchin, I mean, the ramifications are, are really astounding. Yeah, I was about to say, and then you, you reminded me as far as what it actually takes to get somebody <laughs> confirmed, is that that would be the biggest uh, motivation, if anything, for court packing. But the, the idea of being able to pack the court with Joe Manchin as a, a swing vote, if you will, would be... You have to break the filibuster. You'd have to do a lot of things there to make that happen. Unlikely. So, but anyway, but I, any anyone any any uh, agreement or disagree on my prediction? Do you do you guys think, given what we heard from the Supreme Court, it's just too hard to tell whether that'll be overturned? I'm I'm optimistic. I, I went into all this whole thing, by the way. Uh, you know, like Lucy with the football here, but I but I'm optimistic based on what we heard that there are five votes to overturn Roe. And uh, and throw out one of the absolute worst Supreme Court decisions of all time, ranking up there with some of the worst of the worst. Uh, and, and by the way, kicking it back to the political arenas in the states where this question belongs. I mean, if you believe in our system of government, you should believe this question ought to be tackled at the state level by the political actors who are elected by the people. There's nothing about abortion in the Constitution or the 14th Amendment or anything else. And so. To me, as someone who believes in institutions and in the system, the only proper thing here is to kick this thing back to where it goes in the state capitals across America. Well, listen, uh, all of you, Kevin, Kaylee, Scott, obviously, is the, 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 the founder of our feast, to borrow a phrase from Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol with a flight over country with Scott Jennings. I'm Joe Arnold. Thank you for uh, a great year. Uh, thanks for letting me be a part of, uh, of this roundtable discussion on the flyover country with Scott Jennings. Scott, as the, uh, as the, the host overall, any closing thoughts before we wrap up the year? Really happy with uh, what we've done this year. We've had some great guests. I've been very pleased with the roster of people that we put forward. I think Rob Portman and Tim Scott, you know, the last couple we've had were terrific. We've already got our uh, uh, interviews uh, to start out January in the can. Great stuff coming up on the podcast. We're doing some politics. We're going to do some lifestyle stuff. We're going to do some, um, we're going to show quite a range on this podcast of, of topics. And so uh, we hope everybody uh, has a happy new year. We thank everybody for their downloads and their ratings and their social media posts. And we look forward to hearing from you in the new year as we roll forward with Flyover Country. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab coming to you from the heart of middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Five-star reviews will help us keep making the content that you love. To find my latest television hits, columns, and other commentary, go to scottjenningsky.com. 
And you can also find me at Scott Jennings KY on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure your seat backs and folding trays are in their full upright position. Cabin crew, please take your seats for landing and thank you for choosing Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. 